about them doing it or I got to get bitter that I can't do it. And they're going to sing different kinds of songs than what some of us sang when we were younger. And they're going to act different ways and they might wear different types of clothes and the ties might be, they get skinny and they get fat, the ties do, and they get skinny and they get fat. And <laughs> just, I learned to hang on to my ties, they'll come back. Don't worry about all that stuff. Just bless them, Lord. Bless them, Lord. Use them, God. Anoint them. Bless them. Use them. And, and, and encourage them and, and pray for them. Amen? And when you see these young people come up around the front, you can come up with them and worship with them and stand with them and celebrate with them. Amen? Let's sing this one more time. I want to go to the chorus of this song. At the bridge is fine. Yeah. Let's do the bridge. Amen. Sing this to the Lord. The mountain shake before Come on, you. that's it. The demons run and flee. Hallelujah. Have the mention of your name, King of Majesty. There is no power in hell for any who can stand before the power and the presence of the great I am. The great I am. The great. Everybody said, praise the Lord. Amen. God bless you today. You can return to your seats. And we're going to ask you to go with us in the word of the Lord to the book of Haggai. Haggai, you'll find Haggai hanging out there at the end of the Old Testament with Zechariah and Malachi. Chapter 1, Haggai chapter 1. If you're there, say amen. Most of you didn't say it because you're waiting on the screen. There it is. Now if you're there, say amen. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month and the first day of the month came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel the son of Shealtel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua the son of Josedek, the high priest. Got all that? There will be a quiz. Saying, thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, this people say, the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? 
Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and bring in little. You eat, but you have not enough. You drink, but you are not filled with drink. You clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the mountains and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. You looked for much, and lo, it came to little, and when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why, saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste. And ye run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. Uh, Let's put our Bibles down if you're holding your Bible. Let's put our hands in the air. Would you just ask the Lord to speak into this building today? Speak into your hearts. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for this message. We thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in this place. I pray that you would anoint me to bring forth the word of God into the lives of your people. Open our ears, our hearts, our spirits, and let us hear what thus saith the word of the Lord to us today. And we'll give you the glory, and we'll give you the praise. And everybody said amen. Amen. Greet two or three people before you're seated in the name of the Lord. Amen. I'm opening with um, reading for you from an article that I came across just in my musings. And um, the, I, just so I'm not plagiarizing, I'll tell you the name of the man is Dan Hayden. And I'm not saying that so you'll go follow or look him up or anything I just found this interesting and it tied in with what I'm preaching about this morning so let me in, let me let me uh, open with sharing with you this interesting article he says self self-centered behavior is the most destructive influence upon interpersonal relationships imaginable it eliminates concern for the other person's welfare and it sucks the life out of any meaningful communication. It is the first sin of the universe when Adam and Eve chose themselves over God. And it tops the list of sins that God hates, that of pride. Self-love is the cesspool out of which oozes every other perversion of the human heart. For ultimately, everyone and everything else becomes expendable in the pursuit of its insatiable lust. Yet the thing that is most exalted in our society is the self. Self-fulfillment, self-determinism, and self-image are highly regarded as the essence of life by our hedonistic culture. The breakdown of our society is usually blamed on other things, too much drugs, too many guns, right-wing fundamentalists, etc. But those who can see beyond their animal instincts recognize that the real culprit is the self-centered, egomaniacal, prideful condition of the human heart left unchecked by the moral laws of God. 
Relax the moral restraints on the depraved nature of man and it will seek its own narcissistic level every time. Paul warned Timothy that the last days culture would be characterized by peril due to the loss of moral integrity. The list of 18 sordid dehumanizing attributes of this culture begins with, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. Actually, lovers of their own selves is one word in the Greek text. It's philatos. This compound word is built around the intensive pronoun autos, which means self, and is translated variously, himself, herself, ourselves themselves. This word has invaded our English vocabulary in a multitude of compound words. You'll recognize them. Autograph, autobiography, automobile, autocratic, automatic. In all of these words, the idea of self or by itself is dominant. For instance, autobiography, of course, is the biography of oneself. And automobile is the idea of being mobile by itself. Now, in the Greek word philatos, the additional word philos is added to the notion of oneself, autos. Philos is the common Greek word for love. It signifies the kind of love that comes from the emotions of the heart. When we are attracted to someone or feel emotionally drawn to someone, we are experiencing philos. Basically, philos is what turns us on. Therefore, when added to the word autos, this, this compound word indicates that the thing which turns us on is ourselves, philatos. This, the Apostle Paul says, will be the most defining element of the last day's culture. People will be lovers of their own selves, philatos. More than anything else, this is the reason we are seeing a major decline in goodness and a drastic increase in badness. People are acting selfishly. They are putting their own interests ahead of the needs and concerns of others. Think about it. When a young man pulls the trigger and kills his schoolmates, that person is acting in a philatos manner. When someone steals from someone else, you see it on the news right now, the smash and grabs, that is philatos act. Likewise, when a man leaves his wife and family for other interests, he demonstrates that he is a philatos individual. Even little things that we do every day in putting our own interests ahead of others or in contrast to God's desire for our lives indicates that there is a large measure of philatos in all of us. According to the Bible, self-love is the most degrading thing about us and the only antidote is to confess our sin to God, to claim forgiveness through faith in Christ as our Savior, and then to pray that the Holy Ghost will put within us a giving, sacrificial spirit. There is another Greek word for self in the Bible. It is the word idios, which means one's own, peculiar to oneself. Well, I may not read this part because he ends up by using the word idiot, so we won't go there. Paul says in Romans 12, 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies, think of this, 
that you individually, each of you would present your bodies. What is your what does your bodies represent here? Your body represents your entire being. Because when you bring your body, I told you Wednesday night, we are a spirit with a soul that lives in a body. So when you bring your body, you bring your spirit and you bring your soul. And when we say things like, well, I was there in spirit, just not in body, that's really not accurate. Because where you can only be in one place at a time right now. And so we, when we bring our body, so Paul is saying, instead of breaking it down, I'm just going to tell you, present your bodies. Because when you bring your bodies, and by the way, your bodies, your fleshly shell is the thing that you will fight most with anyhow. And so Paul says, bring your very being a, and, and bring it as a living sacrifice. I did not come today to tell you that serving God is an easy thing. I will tell you the plan of salvation is simple. But I will tell you that walking with God, Jesus said, if you're going to serve me, if you're going to follow me, you're going to have to take up a cross and follow me. You will have to lay down your self-will, your self-agenda, and you will have to take up my cross, my purpose. You will, you will be required to make a sacrifice. Paul says you need to present your bodies a living sacrifice. Holy. Acceptable unto God. He says it's your reasonable service. We, we, when we are selfish, we think that anything we do for God is a big deal. This is a big deal. I've got to go to church. I've got to give my tithes. I've got to stay away from this. And when we are selfish thinkers, we think in terms of, oh, what a big sacrifice. But Paul says these things of being holy and being acceptable unto God. He says it's just your reasonable service. And then he says, and don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good, acceptable, perfect will of God. Verse 3, for I say through the grace of, uh, given unto me to every man that is among you, watch this, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. According as God hath dealt to every man the measure of faith. Not to think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. What will get in the way of us being a living sacrifice before God is when we think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Now I will say this. Many people will struggle with this concept, and many people will check out on a sermon like this very early because they automatically begin to think that, well, that's not me. That's not describing me. Because if I had a million dollars, I wouldn't spend a dime on plastic surgery, and I wouldn't go out and buy a big fancy car and a big fancy house. What you fail to realize is that <laughs> self-pride, self-promotion doesn't necessarily mean that you're worried about your appearance doesn't necessarily mean that you're buying the biggest car or you're competing with somebody else. It simply means that we put our interests, whatever they may be, before the Lord. And you might dress simply and you might drive an old jalopy and you might live under a bridge. And still think more highly of yourself than you ought to think because it's a spirit. It's an attitude that gets inside of us 
there are people who are so humble, they are proud of their humility. <laughs> I'm more humble than you. <laughs> eh. You just failed the test. So, they've been out of captivity for 18 years. Um, Haggai, most likely, was born in the 70-year captivity. And he was released to go along with Zerubbabel uh, back to the, the land. And they were there now faced with this monumental task of rebuilding the waste. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple had been dismantled. And now it was their role. Zerubbabel was the leader of this particular uh, charge. And it, it was their role, this expedition. It was their role to rebuild the temple. And they got so far into it. And then they begin to lose interest. Now, I, I say that term, but I, I don't really mean it that way. They didn't necessarily lose interest in the temple. They just begin to be interested in other things. And when you begin to put your interest in other things, doesn't, doesn't the Bible say you cannot serve God and mammon? You'll either love the one and hate the other. You'll cling to one and despise the other. But you cannot serve God and mammon. Jesus is saying you've got to decide where your interests lie. Well, well, you, you must decide what you put first in this life. And when they stop putting God's work, God's purpose, God's kingdom, God's agenda, when they, be, when they failed to put that first, they, what, what really happened was they began to find other interests. I read it for you. I read, what, 12, 10 verses. 10 verses that describe the condition of Haggai's day, God's people during Haggai's day. God's complaint was, you have left the work of God. You have left the building of my temple. You say it is not time to build God's building. It is not time to do the Lord's work. You, you did not abandon it. I'm, I'm, I'm preaching to church people today, and I realize that I am. And our greatest risk is not that we're going to throw our hands in the air and just say, you know, I don't believe in all this stuff anymore anyhow. I don't want to serve God anymore. That's not the greatest risk. And it wasn't the greatest risk for these people either. It was simply that they lost interest of what was important. The outside culture permeated their culture. And, and, and everything that everybody else was after, it snuck in. And that is the greatest risk that the church faces. Not that we will just abandon God. It's just that the outside culture, I know none of you. I don't have to preach to you. Don't go out and break into Louis Vuitton and, 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 and smash the cabinets and steal everything you can grab and hop in the awaiting getaway car. You're seeing it on the news, by the way. And, and I don't have to preach to you not to do that. But that the very same spirit... That causes those people to run into these stores and grab what they can grab and hop in the car and take off proud of themselves. Is the very same spirit that will cause us to just abandon the work of the Lord and seek after our our self-interest. Philatos. 
you, you have too many morals to go smash and grab. You have too many morals to go shooting in places up. You have too many morals to do those things. But you can have a moral compass and be right where God's people are in this chapter. You say, it is not time. It is not time to do the Lord's work. It is not time to serve God with all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. It is not time to sacrifice myself for the work of the Lord. It is not time. It's not that, I, it's not that they said, we give up. We're just not going to do it. It's not important. We're not, we don't believe in the cause anymore. We're just simply saying, right now. We doing okay? Now, if you think I'm preaching too hard for a Sunday morning, relax. I just discovered in my office right before I came out here that I have to preach the next service. Brother Gunderman and I got our wires crossed. I thought he was preaching at 2 o'clock. He said, no, I told you next week. I couldn't do it this week, and I, and I had that look on my face. I said, oh. So I guarantee you the next sermon is going to be two things. It's going to be short, and it's going to be real sweet. But this one I studied for, it's going to be long, and it's going to be hard. <laughs> So come back at two, and I'll, I'll rub your shoulders a little bit for you, all right? But right now, i got to give you a little kick in the seat. <laughs> I think I'm, this actually might become a two-parter, so we might just push pause, come back at two o'clock. So it's not that we're, you know, we're at risk of just, they didn't say, no more God. They just simply said, you know, Haggai, you know, Zerubbabel, we, we, we're kind of thinking about our own houses now. When they first arrived, they, they were so ecstatic about the work of the Lord. And then some years passed, 18 years. They're now going after their houses. Well, the, maybe the wife said after, the, you know, Jedediah came home at the end of the day. <laughs> And she said, well, you spent 12 hours down there, and our own roof is leaking. And then Jedediah said, well, honey, I'm doing the work of the Lord. This is the most important thing. And then the next day she said, well, I need 13 hours today. And, that, you know, I don't know. I'm not trying to blame you women, but, you know, sometimes <laughs> it's your fault. Not always. It might have been that Jedediah came home and said, you know, that's a lot of hard work. And his wife was saying, but that's the work of the Lord. Stick with it. I got I to gotta correct this here. Stick with it. And Jedediah says, yeah, but, uh, you know, Jonathan's house looks better than our house. So I'm gonna, I think I'll just start working on our ceiling, our roof, our house, our siding. The gutters need painted, and the yard's really getting, you know, it's going to pot, and we need to fix the landscaping, and things are just falling down. You know, I'll just take, I'll take today and concern myself more with our stuff, my, our stuff, honey, just today. And, and today turns into two days and a week, and it's how people fall off. It's how you see people who were once so excited about serving God that today you don't know where they are. It did not start with a, I don't care. It was simply, not now. 10 o'clock. Sunday morning, most important place you can be is right here. But you get that, well, maybe not today, not now. And that's how they got to the point where Haggai, the Lord says, you tell them that they say this is not the time 
the time, it's not, now is not the time to do the work of the Lord. He says, you are running every man to his own house, and you're doing your own thing. You're taking care of your own. He says, the house of the Lord doesn't even have a top on it, and you're worried about your ceilings being just right. Very descriptive of their attitudes. Okay, so what's the result of all of this? What is the result of this self-centered spirit? Uh, the, the word of the Lord was this. Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Can I just tell you that every time a sermon comes across the pulpit, it really should, it should prod us to consider not your brother and sister's ways, but to consider your ways. God, where am I in this sermon? What are you trying to say to me in this message? If we will humble ourselves and consider our own ways. He says, consider your ways. I want you to think about this. You are running every man to his own house and you were taking care of your own business and you were putting other things above and before the work of the Lord. And I want you to consider this. He says, you just take a look. You, you sow much. The things that you have busied yourself with above the work of God, you sow much. You go out into your field, you work all day, you sow much. But he says, when you go out to harvest, it is not commensurate with what you have sown. You bring in little. He said, uh, you, uh, you eat, and you eat, and you eat. But after you finish eating, you look around, and it's not enough. You're not satisfied. You, you drink because you're worried about satisfying your own thirst. And you drink, but he says, you are not filled. You are not, you, you still feel dehydrated. You still feel the need to drink more. He says you clothe yourself. You worry about what you're going to put on. You, you go shopping and you make, you make your clothing and you make it all fancy and you worry about what you're putting on. He says, but, but you, you get it all on and nobody's warm. You still, at the end of the day, with all of your clothing and all the work of your own hands, it is coming up short. You're still cold. You're not warm. He said you earn wages. You go work for the man and you get your paycheck and you bring it home and you feel like you're working so hard. But he says you put your money in the bag with holes in it. You put it in the bank, but it's never enough. It seems like it's just trickling away. You do not understand. You cannot make the ends meet. And he says you need to consider your ways. I do not have to tell you. I did, I did not need to tell you because you already knew that we live in a very narcissistic society. Humanistic views. I'm number one. It started in Eden when the devil told Eve, eat it. You won't need God. That was the basic message of his temptation. If you eat the fruit, you'll be like God. You won't need God. Tower of Babel was all about humanism. Self. Shaking our fists and thumbing our nose at God. After the flood. And God says, now, 
I'm going to put the bow in the sky so that you'll know this is my covenant with you, Noah, and all of your uh, family and all of your children that I will never again destroy this earth with water. You can be assured of that. Here's what I want you to do. He knew that if, they, if he did not assure them of that, Brother Worthen, they would not do what he's commanding them to do, which was now go forth and replenish. Go, go, go forth and grow, spread, and, 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 and inhabit this earth that I created again. I purged it now, go inhabit it. And so at the end of God's message to them, what do they do? A man stands up and says to everybody, come, let us build. Let us build the tower that will reach up into heaven. Let's defy God. We won't need God. We don't have to worry about rain anymore if we build this tower that will reach up into heaven. In fact, the Lord said, the Lord came down and saw the work of their hands and said, the people is one. And if I don't disrupt this work, they will accomplish that which they've set out to do. And so he doesn't knock the tower down. He disrupts their languages. That's where we get the multitude of languages at the tower of Babel when God confused their languages. And now he says, if you won't do it on your own, I'll disperse you myself. But it was a defiant spirit of, I know what God said to do. But I'll do what I want to do. You won't get away with that. But the real problem is not just that we won't get away with it. It's the very fact that in our human nature we desire to get away with that. We have this loving God, this loving God who says, I'm, I'm going I'm to give you comfort with this bow, and I'm going to assure you that I'm not going to destroy the earth anymore. You can trust me. Go forth. And, and the devil will put in our minds that we can't trust God, so we have to trust ourselves. God lovingly provides ways of salvation and wants to provide for our needs, but the devil will come alongside our human nature and exacerbate those feelings and say, you know, you can't trust God. You better work overtime this week. doesn't matter if you miss church for the next two months. Just go ahead and bring, in, bring it in. This, these are unsure times. These are uncertain times. You better go ahead and just put those things before God. And it, you're, you don't plan on doing that forever. You're just going to do it for a while. But what it really is is it's a distrust. Too, too much? Uh, you can do it that way, but God won't bless that way. God wants us to trust in Him. God wants us to trust in Him so He can demonstrate His love and care for us. That's why, wasn't it Peter who said, we need to cast all our cares on him for he, not, not just so we can feel better at the end of the day. No, he cares for us. He says, God wants to demonstrate his care for you by allowing you and encouraging you to cast all your cares on him. It is a cycle. I cast my care on him. He shows his care for me. I cast my cares on him. He shows his cares for me. I cast my cares on him. He shows his care for me. I trust in him. He provides for me. He, he wants you to cast your cares on him because he careth for you. 
But, but Satan would pervert that in the minds of Adam and Eve. They think if they can do this against God, they won't need God. Actually, now they need him even more. Hmm. I already told you that in 2 Timothy 3, when Paul says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. It tops the list of covetous, proud, boasters, blasphemers, disobedient to, 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 uh, to parents, unthankful, unholy. The list goes on. But at the top of it all is men shall be lovers of their own selves. And I would argue that from that stems all of these other issues. Hey, could, would you bring Job 29, 18 up on the screen? Then I said, I shall die in my nest. I referred to this recently. And I shall multiply my days as the sand. This is Job's, this is Job as he's, he's thinking back. He's in the middle of his trial. You see it, it's chapter 29. And, and he's dealing with his trial. In the middle of his trial, he's thinking about the way he used to be. He's been in the trial long enough now that his God is beginning to change the way he thinks. He's, he's grown spiritually, and he's thinking now back to, he says, I said then, then, back when I was the man. If you read his, his memories include things like, I used to walk down the street and everybody bowed to me. I showed up at market and everybody said, that's Job. He was the man. And he said, I, back then, uh, when I walked down the street, people, young men bowed, and, and the old men revered me, and, 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 and I had respect among my peers. But now people show up to just look on me and pity me. They don't stroke my ego anymore. <laughs> they just point out my boils. And my flaws and accuse me wrongfully, but they accuse me of having sinned and failed God. And he's going back now in his mind the way it used to be. But then he thinks about, you know, then I said, I, I shall die in my nest. What he's saying there is, I'm going to gather, I'm going to build, I'm going to earn, I'm going to organize, I'm going to structure, I'm going to make myself this nice little comfortable living. And then I'll live there. Now, I don't want to call Job a big sinner because God bragged on him. But I will tell you, he wrestled with this. He wrestled with the same spirit that the man in the New Testament failed in when he said, I'm going to build bigger barns, and then I'm going to take my ease, and I'm going to die uh, old, fat, and happy, and merry, and the Lord showed up and said, no, this day, I talked about it Wednesday night, tonight your soul shall be required of you. Job was on the edge of this when he said, I'm going to die in my nest and I'm going to multiply my days as the sand. In other words, he thought that he was powerful enough that he could control how long. If I just, and some of us deal with this, if I exercise just right and eat just right and, and, and watch this and watch my cholesterol, watch my blood pressure, I'm going, and, and, and I don't disagree that you can have a better life, but I'm going to tell you at the end of the day, you need to take care of yourself. We need to take care of our temples. We need to do, when my doctor tells me to do something, I try my best to do it, and, uh, and, and I think that's just wise. We need to do that. But at the end of the day, I can jog 10 miles a day and I can watch everything I eat. I've said this many times. I could be, I could be a, 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 a marathon runner and have the best, uh, you know, uh, cardio in the world and get ran over by a bus out there running 10 miles. <laughs> Amen. 
and, and all that work on, on this physique and, and, and make an ugly corpse if you get hit by a bus, you know. All that work for nothing. At the end of the day, there, it is appointed unto man once to die. And after this, the judgment is all of our stories. And so we must, we must not think in terms of, well, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to build, I'm going to gather, I'm going to nest up, I'm going to multiply my days, I'm going to live long, I will die old and rich and happy and healthy. You do not even know, James says, what is on tomorrow. Your life is a vapor. It's here today. It's gone tomorrow. He said, you should not even say tomorrow you're going to go down here to Bloomington and buy some goods. He said, I'm paraphrasing, of course. He said, you should rather say, if the Lord wills, because I do not know what the Lord will will for me tomorrow. We doing okay? Come back at 2 o'clock. I'm going to rub your shoulders at 2 o'clock, but... This is what we need for now. We, we, so, you know, we say of some people, we say of some people that um, they need more self-confidence. They just need more self-confidence. We try to build our kids' self-confidence up. And I, sometimes I think we miss the whole point. Yes, we don't want them to have bad image of themselves, of course. And, but this whole idea of self-confidence, where did we ever get that? Don't teach your children to rely on themselves. Teach your children to rely on God. And, and you can teach them that, you know what, you and God can handle anything. I understand what you're trying to, to teach them and train them. I understand that. But, but listen, this whole concept of, well, you don't need anybody and you don't need, you don't need nobody and you can do anything and you can, be the, you can be the best at everything. And, you can, and all you need is you. You pull your own self up by your own bootstraps. You don't need nobody. I'm going to, first of all, I'll tell you very boldly, and I might offend some of you, that's anti-biblical. The idea that we don't need anybody else is anti-biblical. And I'm not talking about socialism here. I'm just simply saying that in the body of Christ, Paul, Paul compares us to the body of Christ. In fact, in that Romans 12, if I had read on, he goes on to talk about, don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. But soberly, he goes on to talk about, for we are the body of Christ. We are many members, but we have, we have different offices, but we're all one body. So if the pinky says, well, I'm more important than the pinky toe, what's the point? Who cares about that argument? I don't want you to take an axe to either one of those members. I'd like to keep my pinky toes and my pinkies on my hands. Well, the ear says, I'm more important than the eye. Some days you are, some days you're not. Some days I need to hear, and some days I need to see, and sometimes I need to do both, and I don't want to lose my hearing or my vision. And this whole idea that we could separate from the body and thrive is anti-biblical. Don't need no body, you do need a body. Don't need the body of Christ. Don't need, I, and, and, and this whole COVID driving us away from the church. and We can get everything we need online. You cannot get everything you need online. You have detached yourself from the body. And if this pinky falls off of my hand, this pinky will die. The body will go on, but the pinky will die. We've got to be attached to the body. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. You need the body and you need the Lord. And then I'll say this and I'll close. And, and, and musicians, why don't you go ahead and come. Not only do you need the body. And we don't talk about this often. When we're trying to. We're try, and I really, I'm not trying to guilt anybody. I'm really not. I'm trying to just give you the word of God. 
But when we're trying to get people back to the house of God, and it's almost like we want to shame people. Well, you need the body. You'll die without the body. That is true, but not only do you need the body, my friend, the body needs you. The body of Christ needs you. Not, not full of yourself, not, not showing up like, okay, now we can have revival. You know, the pinky has arrived. Now we can do some things. <laughs> Come on. But we can do it better. Amen. You can function without your pinky. You can function without your fingers. You can function without a hand and an arm. You can function without a leg. But you ask our good brother Harding, do you function as well with one leg? Now, brother, maybe brother Harding's a bad example because I don't think he's ever let it slow him down at all. He climbs up on the roof and cleans the gutters out, and I just pray for him. Lord, keep your hand on him, Jesus. But he, you don't climb a ladder as fast as you did before. It's, it impedes us. That's the, that's the thing. Well, they can make it without me. We can, but we don't want to. When you, when you withhold yourself from the body, you withhold, yourself, you withhold your gift. You withhold your gift from the body, and the body has to learn how to adjust and function without you. There are things that would happen with you here that will not happen when you're not here. There are, there are things that can happen when you show up that will not happen when you do not show up. Don't you ever let the devil tell you, you don't need the body. You're better than that. And don't you ever let them, him tell you, the body doesn't need you. They don't care if you show up. Both are a lie. You need the body of Christ. You need the body of Christ. You need that brother. And you need that brother. And you guys, you guys encourage one another. And you strengthen one another. And you flourish when you're with one another. And you do better. And even when you make mistakes, we do better when we show back up. I grew up in the church, uh, Garen. I grew up in the church back when we used wooden clubs. <laughs> yeah, right. Maybe not that long ago, but... It was different, different technology, different things. But I, I, I was a teenage boy. I grew up in the church. I didn't come to church every time the doors were open saying, bless God, I've had victory all week long. I made mistakes. But I would come, the, the devil, and I know how the devil works. He'd tell you, why even bother? And then even if you do, even if your mom and dad make you go, why bother getting into worship? You've messed up, you failed. But I discovered this when I get in there to the house of God with other members. Instead of out there in the world where everything's pulling me away from the body, I get in, into the body and I feel the body pulling me back in. Isn't it amazing today how much we know surgically they can reattach hands. That blows me away. And fingers will work after the healing process. They can reattach nerves and veins and skin tissue, put the bone back and things. Just It was just something intrinsic in this created body that it heals and it will pull itself back together. When, um, when the Lord told the man of God, can these bones live? Ezekiel said, you know, Lord, I don't know, but you know. He said, I want you to begin to do something. It's a valley full of disconnected, dead, dry bones. Not even skeletons, just scattered bones. Bodies, former bodies now disconnected and dead. And he said, I want you to pray and I want you to speak the word over them. And he said, so I did as the Lord commanded. And as I prayed, 
the wind began to blow. As, 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 I, as I, he says, as I spoke the word, as I spoke the word of God, the wind began to blow, and click, 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 bone began to reconnect with bone, and, and bones that had been scattered. That man's bones were scattered all across the valley, but somehow, when the, when the word of God was spoken, Brother Deckard, that bone found itself back to the right bone. And click, 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 and then he began to speak, and, and skin, and sinews, and nerves, and veins, and, and, and they stood up, but they said they were just dead. They were just bodies, and he said, now I want you to pray, and I want you to pray to the wind, that the wind will come and fill them with breath. And as he prayed, those disconnected bones, I'm just saying, they lived. They stood up an exceeding great army. I want you to know that, that, that if we understand our need for one another, our need for the body, no matter how disconnected, disjointed you may be, the body has this very powerful ability. God put it in us to be able to pull you back in, receive you back in, graft you, heal you back in. Let's stand. Consider your ways, he says. You sow, but you don't have much. You eat, you don't have enough. You drink, you don't have enough. You clothe yourself, it's not enough. You earn wages, it's not enough. Consider your ways. It's, uh, it's the treadmill of self. The treadmill of, of self. You get on the treadmill and you walk and you walk and you walk and you walk. And you walk, and you can walk for an hour on a treadmill, but when you shut that off, you're right back where you started. And so it is with self. We work. We stress. We try. But we don't get anywhere. It's just a treadmill. And so he says, consider your ways. Get back to where you know you need to be. And God said, now bless it. Jesus said, if you seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, he said, I'll add everything you need. You See, when we're doing it ourselves, we can sow a lot and bring in a little. When we're doing and putting God first, seed can just fall out of our pocket on the ground accidentally. And we come out the next day and say, wow, look at the abundance. That's God's blessing on our life. I would like to ask you today if you would come around the altar and pray or you can pray at your seat if you're more comfortable doing that. Could we just take a little bit of altar time here? Could we talk to Jesus? Pray this message into your spirit. Consider your ways with the Lord. Have your way, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus, nothing else matters. 
Let's just say that name right now. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. 
Jesus, it's all about you, Lord. You are the center of it all. I pray for your people today, God. Give them strength, Lord, to walk with you. Walk in your ways and walk in your word. We ask in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. We're going to be back here at 2 o'clock. Our youth and uh, hyphen will have their classes in our two o'clock session and our children will be back with us at two o'clock so god bless you have a good break here we'll see you in a few hours <laughs>